we began a new series for the month of September from the first letter of Peter. Grace and glory are living hope amidst fiery trials. September 6 was about grace and glory in our redemption. September 13, grace and glory in our relationships. September 20, grace and glory in our realities. Today, the final message from this series, grace and glory in our returning king. Let's begin by reading the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 onwards in the New American Standard. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not believe the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Chapter 5, verses 1 onwards. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When we consider these passages and these verses, There is eschatological urgency and existential urgency that is at play. Eschatological urgency is looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ and life after. 
existential urgency is to be so preoccupied with life in the here and now that we are blindsided to everything else. So it all comes down to this. Come, Lord Jesus, or wait, Lord Jesus. And this is an ongoing struggle for many of us in our walk with the Lord. There are those among us that cannot wait for Jesus to return. And there's also some among us that would like for the Lord to tarry for a variety of reasons. If you have a loved one, a father or a mother, a husband or a wife, a brother, sister, son, or a daughter, or someone you really love, a friend. And if they are not disciples of Jesus Christ, if they have not yet received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we are terrified at the prospect of Jesus returning because we're not entirely sure if our loved ones will be with us in eternity. So while we share the gospel with them, while we intercede for them, while we weep for them before the Lord, asking God to move them in His grace toward salvation, we wait for the Lord to tarry. But for those experiencing distress or persecution or trial or tribulation or perhaps fighting a losing battle with a terminal illness, our desire is for the Lord to come so that we can be with Him. Eschatological urgency, excited about Jesus' return, versus existential urgency, preoccupied with life right here, right now. So we're either praying, come Lord Jesus soon, or wait Lord Jesus for a while. If we go back to the previous verses from what we have read in 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 7 and 9, Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. It does not ignore them. It forgives them. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. He continues, as each one has received a spiritual gift and we all have received from the Lord a gift or many gifts, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. I would like to spend our time on 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When we are speaking about eschatological urgency versus existential urgency, 
we have to consider the early church. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus has this wonderful and scary discussion with his disciples when he tells them that everything they see, all these beautiful monuments built by man, the temple and the surrounding buildings will all be brought to ruin and will be flattened out. And in the ensuing dis discussion, Lord, when will this happen? We learn a few things. And it is because of such discussions when Jesus was raised to life from the dead. And he ascended to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies. The disciples were given a command to go back to Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And while they were waiting, they were filled with a sense of eschatological urgency because they were absolutely certain that Jesus was coming immediately. It is for this reason, when we study the book of Acts, we see that Christians in the early church sold all their possessions, brought the money, and laid it at the feet of the apostles and the disciples so that the gospel could be brought to the uttermost parts of the world in obedience to the Great Commission. The reason they were able to sell home and farm and field and empty out their savings is because they were certain that they could expect Jesus' return tomorrow or perhaps today. And as days went by and persecution began to become a common phenomenon, whether it was sanctioned by Rome or it was perpetrated by people in the neighborhood, as Christians began to be persecuted, as they faced trial and tribulation and life became chaotic, and as time moved on, this eschatological urgency was slowly replaced by existential urgency. If we live in a time such as this, facing an unseen foe and uncertain about health and happiness and the continuity of our joyful existence, it is but natural to replace our sense of eschatological urgency with existential urgency. While we may not have fallen out of our relationship with God, things that are near, things that are now, take up all our imagination and our attention. It's because what's happening around us is hard to ignore. So to a certain extent, we can understand when existential urgency in times of chaos and catastrophe replace eschatological urgency. The early church may have begun expecting Jesus to return, but as centuries passed by, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of believers slowly moved away from an inherent eschatological sense of urgency towards a more practical existential 
sense of urgency. So when we talk about grace and glory in our returning king, and we're talking about the return of Jesus Christ, and some of us feel ready, and some of us feel we're not quite there yet. And depending on whom you speak with, whom you have a discussion with, you see that within the body of Christ, there are those that are excited about Jesus' return, and there are those that are not so excited about Jesus returning. So, let's put our hearts on this for a while. Let's start off with making a statement. We must live a life that is as committed to carrying the cross today as it is to receiving the crown someday. Sometimes we are so preoccupied on the second coming of Jesus that we fail to pay attention to our duties and responsibilities as God's children, as disciples of Jesus Christ today. So, we must live a life that is as committed to carrying our cross today, every day, as we are committed to receiving our reward, our crown, from God someday. This is an issue of myopia and hyperopia versus spiritual acuity. Spiritually nearsighted. We can see things that are near to us clearly, but we do not have far-reaching vision. We cannot see things far away. We are preoccupied with the little things that take up all our affection and our attention, that we are oblivious to what's happening a little bit away from us what God is doing in the world around us because we are worried about our lives, our jobs, our savings, the health and well-being of our families and our loved ones. Occasionally, there is the daydreaming kind of disciple of Jesus Christ who is hyperopic, who has clear vision when it comes to the big picture but is lost to the details. These are extremes, and we all have experienced these extremes. Sometimes it's all about what's around me and what's about me, and sometimes it's all about what's over there about them. If we are to be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ, if we eagerly wait for His return, What's required of us is not spiritual myopia or spiritual hyperopia, it's spiritual acuity. Wherein you see things clear, whether they are near or far. Our perspective, you may call it great commission vision. You are expectant, desiring of Jesus' return, but while you are waiting, while we are waiting, we are not blinded to the task at hand. We are not as those walking with their heads up in the clouds and not grounded to great commissional reality. 
If we are nearsighted, we miss out on the bigger picture. If we are farsighted, we miss out on the details. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to render us sensitive to his leading, to empower us to see what God wants us to see and hear what God wants us to hear and do what God wants us to do, spiritual acuity, then we escape the clutches of being spiritually myopic or spiritually hyperopic. So, that brings us to our second consideration. We cannot despise the cross and yet desire the crown. Why? A life that rejects the cross today refuses the crown tomorrow or in God's time hereafter. We cannot despise what God has asked us to do. We cannot avoid it. We cannot ignore it. We cannot become negligent or rebellious. Because if we reject the cross that we are to carry today, we are positively refusing the crown that we may receive one day. A life that rejects the cross today essentially refuses the crown tomorrow or in God's time hereafter. So, while we are waiting and we are battling the temptation of being spiritually myopic or hyperopic and pursuing spirit-led, spirit-empowered, spiritual acuity, Peter tells us in chapter 4, what to do while we're waiting. These are some of the guidelines while we're waiting for Jesus to return. One, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Chapter 4, verse 7. Two, continue to show deep love. Some versions render it strenuous love for one another. Chapter 4, verse 8. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Chapter 4, verse 9. Here's the problem. In times of GCQ, MECQ, ECQ, when there are restrictions on travel or congregating in communities, how do you open up your home to invite someone for a meal or ask them to stay under your roof? That is impossible now and perhaps from a practical point of view not advised if you cannot open up your home turn your heart into a home for people pray for them call them think of them if they are in need, extend your hospitality. They don't have to come eat in your home. You can send them food. And there are many in the body of Christ that are doing this for others in the body of Christ. And may the Lord bless them as they generously invest themselves into brothers and sisters in the body that are in great need. The disciple Peter continues Glorify God by using your spiritual gifts. If you have one, use it. 
If you have more than one, use them to serve one another. Our gift must not be about ourselves. Any gift that is all about serving me is not a gift. It's just a clever ruse. The gifts we receive from God are meant for the body of Christ. And when we give ourselves and serve others generously and compassionately and extravagantly, the reward we receive is the joy and the blessing that is there as a byproduct. We pursue service in the name of Jesus Christ and we render it to others so that God may reward us. Five, since this unconditional love and these acts of unconditional sacrificial service are difficult to pull off on our own, Peter says, do it all, not with your own strength, but with the strength and energy that God supplies. Chapter 4, verse 1. That brings us to our third consideration for today. A life that lives in love, bearing the cross on its shoulder today, will one day live in glory, carrying a crown on its head. If we do what God wants us to do today, avoiding myopia, hyperopia, nearsightedness, where it's all about us, or farsightedness, it's all about someone else because we like the attention. But if we pursue spiritual acuity as the Holy Spirit empowers us, then a life that lives in love for God and His children, including those that are unchurched, if the love of Christians is only for other Christians, we have failed to properly reveal Christ to the world. So if a life lives in love, bearing the cross on its shoulder today and every day, in obedience to Jesus Christ, in submission to God's sovereign will, one day the same life will live in glory carrying a crown on its head, because that is our reward. Grace and glory in our returning King. While many people are preoccupied with when is Jesus coming, what are the signs? Is there hidden meaning in the biblical text? Does God reveal the day of his coming or the general time of his coming to someone. There are better things to do than to read in between the lines. Sometimes we are so busy reading in between the lines, we ignore some lines that are staring right at us in the face. Our job, our joy, our task today is to live in love, carrying the cross of Jesus Christ and the cross that the Great Commission has laid upon us, on our shoulder. Today, tomorrow, every day, for as long as it's God's will that we should remain here. If we do this with diligence and devotion, 
If we do this in radical submission to God's call upon our lives, wherever God has called us, full-time ministry, part-time ministry, just pursuing Jesus. If we do this intentionally, with sacred delight, then one day, the same life that lives in love and carries a cross on its shoulder will one day, in God's great time, will wear a crown on its head. There can be no crown without a cross. If we reject the cross of Jesus Christ, we are essentially refusing the crown. Are we excited about God's great reward for us? Yes. I am, and I can imagine so are you. But if you are excited about receiving a reward while waiting for that great day, where God will say to us, his children, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Before that great day comes, we have many things to do. And how do these many things start? Pursuing spiritual acuity. So that God would give us the grace to carry his cross. And the glory to wear a crown. Grace and glory. While we're waiting for Jesus to return. Perhaps today. Perhaps tomorrow. Perhaps we don't know. What Peter wants us to do. Is to live in love. Bearing our cross each day with passion, with precision, so that one day we will live in fellowship that knows no bounds, experiencing the glory that is reserved to all those who persevere in their faithfulness. So that we may carry a crown that is reserved for us. And we shall one day receive it. The question is, are we excited about the second coming of Jesus Christ? I used to be terrified of the Lord's second coming. And once I had a discussion with my mother, my spiritual mentor. And when I told her, Mom, I'm scared of Jesus coming. She's like, why are you scared that Jesus will return? Because I'm terrified that he may not want me. And I may not be with him. Why are you afraid that you would not be caught up? If the Lord comes, because I'm not living right. And sometimes we are so disgusted with this life that any other life is 
acceptable. Like a child who's presented green vegetables. Any food but this. Like a person who is very, very frustrated with his work. Any job but this. Or a person in a broken marriage and there is no peace between one spouse and the other. Any other relationship except with this person. Any place but here. Any time but now. We're so eager to escape that we want to be with Jesus. Our sense of eschatological urgency must, must not be the fruit of avoidance. We must not desire the coming of Jesus because we are depressed with our life here. We have things to do. We have a cross to carry. And if we do that for the glory of God and for His Son, one day you and I, just as certainly as we carry our cross today, with equal certainty, we will wear our crown and carry it with joy in the presence of our Father. Grace and glory in our returning King. One thing is certain, Jesus is coming. Well, we don't know. While we are waiting for His return, you and I have things to do. And most of the things we have to do is not just for ourselves, but for everyone around us. If we embrace God's purpose for our lives with great passion, we will one day get, receive God's reward for us with great joy. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, a part of our lives is invested in Jesus' return. We want to see Jesus return in glory. Perhaps to vindicate us from those who doubted our belief and questioned our faith. But perhaps because we want to escape this world and everything about it. That sometimes we're so far-sighted that we forget to engage what's around us for the sake of Jesus Christ bearing our cross. Two hands on the cross today will one day lead to a full head of a crown. God, help us to carry our cross living in love today tomorrow and every day bearing witness to the gospel and to the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives so the world bears witness to God's presence in our life in our words in our actions and in our gestures so that someday father in your own time if in this lifetime should you return, we're unafraid and we're filled with joy because we shall see Jesus and we shall be with Him. We thank you for the grace to bear the cross and we are excited about the glory 
that we will experience as we wear our great reward from God, our crown. You're such a good God, and we put our faith and our hope in you. Give us grace, Father, so that one day we may receive an equal measure of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.